listening to Rising Above with Becky Davidson. When you are just being faithful and living your life for yourself and your family and not trying to make it better than it is and not trying to make it look worse than it is, joy will come. Welcome to Rising Above with Becky Davidson, where we hear from special needs families who rise above difficult circumstances and discover that joy can be found in every story. Thank you for joining us. Here's your host, Becky Davidson. Thanks so much for joining me this week. You know, we are just a few weeks away from this year's By the Brook Weekend for moms of individuals living with disabilities. And this weekend is one of the biggest highlights of our year at Rising Above. And we love so much getting to bring this weekend to you a fun and encouragement. Now, if you haven't signed up, it's not too late. Trust me, you do not want to miss out. So just go to the Rising Above website, You can find all the information you need about how you can sign up and possibly if there is a host site in your area. So we'll include a link in the show notes. So be sure to sign up. Trust me, moms, you do not want to miss out. Now, we want to take a minute to thank our friends at Fry Fry Night and Looper for being event sponsors this year. If you live in the Upper Cumberland region of Tennessee, they can meet almost all of your legal needs from adoptions to wills to conservatorships. Don Fry with their firm um, helped us with our conservatorship for our son several years ago and did just an amazing job. And I highly recommend them. And we'll be sure to include a link in the show notes if you want to know more about the services from the law office of Fry, Fry, Knight, and Looper. Now, my guest today is Abigail Burley. She is the mom to six-year-old triplets who were born 16 weeks early, and she is passionate about creating spaces of belonging for families living with disabilities. She's also the founder of the nonprofit Love Your Story, and they provide respite for families. We had such a sweet conversation, and I loved getting to hear more about her nonprofit, and I know you will as well. So here's my conversation with Abigail Burley. Hey, Abigail, thanks so much for joining us for the podcast today. I'm so glad to get to talk to you and learn more about your story. So thanks for being here. Thanks, Becky. I mean, I love seeing you in person, but on the internet is good too. That works too. Yeah, we met for the first time in Atlanta just a couple of months ago, and I got to hear a little bit about you and your family and what you guys were doing, and I was like, we need to get her on the show so she can share part of her journey with us. And so thanks for being willing to be here. And, you know, I learned when we talked that day, okay, you're a mom of triplets. Yes. So that's quite a story right there in and of itself. But (laughs) your birth story was a little different. So tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a mom. Yeah. So my journey to becoming a mom um, was uh, quite the epic uh, journey. Uh, we quickly started trying and had some difficulties. Um, and so I was put on a prescription drug called Clomid and was told there's like a one to seven percent increase to have multiples. And you're like, mm. okay, twin sounds fun. Let's do this thing. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and uh, my husband and I did it and um, I d- did decided to do the Clomid treatment. And the first round we did, we found out that we were pregnant with triplets. Wow. And then ensued lots of guilt of something we have fervently prayed for for a year and a half is now here, but it's not what I prayed for. 
Mm, yeah. And I felt guilty in, I wanted to be pregnant so bad, but I didn't want to be pregnant with triplets. Right. Um, right. And it was quickly really realizing in that moment, that first ultrasound moment, that baby A, baby B, and baby C, that my life was not going to be my own anymore. Mm-hmm. That my journey becoming a first-time mom was going to be an outlier journey. And it wasn't going to be just throwing a baby on my back and heading to the baseball game, uh, right. you know, when I'm mentoring right. high school kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew a lot of things were going to have to change. And so I tell people all the time, my mothering journey, honestly, kind of started in this like guilt cycle mm. of I'm supposed to be thankful, but it's not what I want. Yeah. Um, and it was hard. How did you process through that? You know, that's, you know, I I know um, not everybody maybe can relate to that, that feeling of guilt because everyone's story is different. So how did you process through that to then get to the place of, okay, we're going to, this is our journey and and we're going to, this is the life that we're, the story we've been given to live. Right. Um, it took some time. Um, I think we started telling people we were pregnant with triplets right around nine weeks. And we started telling people so early because I was already showing. I mean, people mm. thought I was close to the second trimester and I was only mm. nine weeks. I mean, so you can imagine I'm a pretty right. petite person. So me gaining 10 pounds was like, mm. wow, you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. You know, well, how mm-hmm. far along are you? Nine weeks, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But really, my story started to change the script in my mind from going to guilt to becoming excited when I saw how many other people were excited for us. Mm. When I saw how many other people are like, I cannot wait for the babies to be here. You know, I can't Mm -hmm. wait to come and help or, I mean, I really just saw this sense of community rallying around us. And I'm like, wow, I'm not going to be alone. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times when we think our story is taking lane B and we wanted a lane A story, that when we see that other people are starting to head down lane, lane B with us, it doesn't feel as scary because yeah. I'm not alone. Yeah. Mm. So when we saw people rallying around us, I was like, yeah. okay. Okay, okay. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Well, then your your journey through pregnancy then I'm sure had twists and turns, but then your triplets decided they would like to come a little bit early. And so tell us about that. They did. Um, so our when I was 22 weeks pregnant with the triplets, I had great ultrasounds up to that point. Everything was looking kind of textbook triplet pregnancy. Um, and at 22 weeks gestation, I found out that I was in full-term labor. And I was, wow. in, I was in labor. And um, my cervix had shortened enough where I was already uh, presenting. Um, And so obviously left that appointment and was rushed to the hospital. Mm. And our hospital at that point in time at 22 weeks gestation, it would have been considered a miscarriage. And my Mm. husband and I ended up laying in the bed being like, man, we had finally, you know, at at 22 weeks, I'm excited at this point. I'm ready Mm -hmm. for the babies. I'm excited to be their mom. I'm excited to be a triplet mom. And I really just felt like in that moment, you know, if the Lord brought us this far and this is the end, that's going to be something that I'm going to have to grapple with. But I just honestly kind of felt this steadiness of saying this isn't the end. And I didn't know what that ending looked like. But Ryan and I decided at that point we would sign whatever we needed to sign um, for the hospital to 
help move forward. And so for the next 11 days, I was on any type of muscle relaxer, magnesium, anything you can think of in Trendelenburg, which is like my head, you know, below my feet. Um, And at 11 days, that takes us right out to 24 weeks. It was just they couldn't do anything else to keep the babies in, for lack of a better word. Right, um, so right. at 24 weeks and one day gestation, Maggie Maxim Miller um, came via C-section. Um, there were 19 people in the room and it was dead silent. Mm. Um, and you really felt the weight of what was about to happen. And we had been given all of the statistics that, you know, statistically, no one was going to make it um, probably past 48 hours of life. Um, And so there I lay on the operating table after the C-section and they pull out baby A, baby B and baby C. It's completely silent. Nobody's crying. And my husband looks at me and says, do you want me to go downstairs with the babies to the NICU or do you want me to stay here with you? and I remember having the thought, well, I, I don't want them to die alone. Mm, yeah. You know, yeah. and so I want you to go with them. I'm going to, I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I need you to go with them. And Becky, that started <laughs> the next really six years of, of truly fighting for them to stay with us, but really for the first five and a half months. So 158 days. Um, They stayed in intensive care in the NICU um, and came home. So they were born May 15th, 2017, um, and they came home October 22nd, 2017. And they all came home together. Did they all come home together? Both of the boys, Max and Miller, came home on October 22nd. Maggie came home on October 11th. So she came home 11 days ahead of the boys. Um, And, you know... I naively, being a first-time mom, did not know what to expect. And being a first-time mom, you don't know how to really bond with your babies. You're learning it from what you think you should experience. And, you know, if some of your viewers have had a birth experience similar to mine or know a friend or a family member that has, you know, giving birth to one pound, a one-pound baby mm-hmm. is not set up and designed for bonding. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can't hold them. You can't snuggle them. You can't console them. Oh, you're not talking to them. They need silence. Their eyes aren't open. You know, their eyes are so few shut. Um, You know, it's a really eerie and and scary feeling as a first time mom. Um, Mm. And so, you know, I really kind of was already riding this wave of emotion being a mom of like, okay, I started excited, then guilty, then excited again. And now I'm devastated. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so my husband and I, for the next five and a half months, every single day, we woke up and kind of did the same thing every day. Yeah. Went to went to go see your babies and and be at the hospital and did people rally around you and help you during those times during that season or were you feeling isolated and alone? I think that's a double edged sword question. Um, you know, I always tell people the amount of community support we receive from financial to people just showing up at the hospital praying to people coming 
on their long runs and running by the hospital and just running prayers around. I mean, you name it, people did it for us. But I also do think it was an isolating season, especially for my husband and I, of a lot of people, and myself included, before our experience, don't know how to talk to somebody mm-hmm. when truly they have three kids on life support. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so it, it was isolating. I found myself wanting some sense of normalcy yeah. because I'm at the hospital all day and then I come home and I'm, I'm coming home as Abby. I don't yeah. even feel like I'm coming home as a mom. Yeah. There's nothing for me to do there mm-hmm. other than pray. Yeah. Um, and so I did find myself wanting some normalcy of somebody to invite me out to dinner or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people don't know what to do. People just don't know how to respond and what to do. Yeah. And so often we just want some someone to sit with us, just to sit with us in that pain. They don't have to do anything. It's just to be there, you know, with us on those long, hard days. And, you know, so your kids now, you know, they come, they came home, you know, they were about five, six months old yeah. and there's a whole lot that happened during that time, I know. And we'll kind of touch on some of that here in a little bit, mm-hmm. but tell us about them now. There's what, they're six years old now, right? We just turned six. We finished turn six. Um, and we'll start kindergarten in the fall. Wow. Wow. And so the doctors were telling you they weren't going to make it. They told you they were not going to survive, but they are now six years old. So tell us about them now. Yeah. Um, A lot of people don't know this, but it's, I don't want to say it's parent decision, but it's really kind of parent decision whether you continue care or not. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, we entered into that, but now Maggie Maximiller turned six on May 15th and they just finished their first full year of school and they finished pre-K And it was a really great experience. And I tell triplet moms specifically all of the time, there is something beautiful and sweet that happened at the age of five that just, I just felt myself breathing out. Mm. And, you know, we still have kids that aren't fully dependent in a lot of things. So it's not even the fact that they can, some of them can get themselves dressed. It's truly the fact of the, just the little years, you know, of the, you're just in the grind of, you know, I I left my job. I mean, we couldn't afford, especially the medical care our kids needed. We couldn't afford full-time care. So I left my job. So when I say every day I was living and breathing, taking care of triplets that all had medical complexities you know, there's something in that as a parent that I knew I loved my kids, but I was exhausted. Right, right. And at the end of the day, being honest, there were days I didn't know if I liked myself being their mom and them mm-hmm. being my kids. And and it hurts my yeah. heart that I say that, but it's true. Yeah. And something happened but at the age of five where I think their personalities bloomed and they mm-hmm. became little people. Yeah. And as a mom, I was like, hey, I like you. Mm. I like yeah. hanging out with you. And all of this caregiving that I'm having to do, it mm-hmm. doesn't feel as heavy because I love right. spending time with you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that that happens at a different time for every mom. I've had some of my mom mm-hmm. friends that's happened the moment their ch- child was born, that the caregiving of the medical side and their being their mom mesh perfectly. Mm-hmm. That that wasn't my story. Yeah. Yeah. That didn't happen for me. But mm-hmm. I can say this past year has been beautiful watching them blossom into their own people. Yeah. And I, I just can't wait to keep watching that happen. Yeah. 
Well, how has their early birth story impacted their development now at six years old? Right. Um, So, you know, I mean, statistically, the doctors or the neonatologists would tell you, like, statistically, you are looking at if one baby is born at 24 weeks, you're looking at lifelong disabilities. So really, three babies being born at 24 weeks, you're lucky that they're brought home, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so... We knew pretty early on that all three of them were going to need um, pretty intense care. Um, now, that care has looked different for all of them. Um, you know, we do have a child um, with a lifelong physical disability called cerebral palsy. And um, that's, you know, affects all four of his limbs. And um, it, it's it's a lot, you know. We we mm-hmm. sleep on BiPAP at night. We have seizures. Um, we he has bronchial pulmonary dysplasia, which is a lung disease. Um, so you know, it's a good year if we're in the ICU just with him less than five times. That's that's wow. a that's yeah. a win. That's a yeah. good year. Um, yeah. You know, and our other two, our daughter um, and our son, other son, um, our other son um, has autism. Um, and he does need lower supports at this time in his life, but it's a lot when I'm pushing one, mm-hmm. one child in a wheelchair running down, yeah. you know, the main street and my other child's running in the street, you know, cause he doesn't yeah. understand yeah. that he's not safe. Mm-hmm. You know, it, <laughs> I've just learned yeah, to laugh it's a lot. I've just yeah. laughed. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, then our daughter has actually had a very unique journey that they're not sure that if it is due to her being born prematurely or if she would have been born full term, if we would have still, um, if she would have still been a- impacted. Um, but she was actually born with her brain hemispheres being shifted by 10 millimeters. And so, um, we were very fortunate in that the first two and a half years of life, it actually didn't impact her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were like, then we're not going to disturb, we're not going to disturb the beast. Um, you know, she had delayed walking until she was like two and a half, but that's pretty common with, you know, how early she was born. Um, but she, um, at two and a half, it, it, the hemisphere shift did start affecting her. So she has undergone, um, two minor procedures for her brain and then one absolute mammoth brain surgery and skull mm. complete restriction of her skull surgery um, two years ago this summer, um, and so that was that was a that was a lot, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I tell people all the time, I'm like, I don't even. Sometimes I even forget that people don't know what it's like to be impacted by disabilities in a medical journey because it's just with all three of my kids. It's all mm-hmm. I know. It's all I know how yeah. to do as a mom. Um, you know, and so our family in the past six years, I tell people, if you can think of it, we've probably done it with one yeah. of our kids. Yeah. Well, and on top of that, you have traveled lots of different places to mm-hmm. get treatment. It's not right. just in the area where you live. You, you know, you've had to travel mm-hmm. um, to different places to get that treatment. But out of that, birthed this nonprofit that you guys have recently started. So right. before we jump into the nonprofit, tell a little bit about the what that that traveling experience was like for you. You know, you've got three littles who are all, you know, have medical needs and yet you're needing to travel to a different state, different part of the country for treatment. And what was that like for you guys? Right. Um so when the babies turned two and a half, um, or the triplets turned two and a half, 
we really kind of hit this spot where I finally understood this was going to be the rest of our life. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were going to be in and out of the ICU, surgeries, therapy clinics, caregiving for the rest of my life and their lives. So what can we do as a family um, to really receive the best medical care um, and really push them as far as they can go into that interdependent life or independent life? Mm -hmm. And so at two and a half, my husband and I started doing a lot of research on our own. And like a good mom, I hopped on social media and uh, found (laughs) some uh, moms doing some things that were just kind of outside the box. And so we said, we had kind of said for three years, like nothing was too expensive. Nothing was too outlandish for us to try or do for our kids, period. Um, And we knew we had enough support here that if I needed to travel with one and leave two, travel with two and leave one, that we were going to do it. So that's what we did. We started traveling to Tulsa, Oklahoma for a specific type of physical therapy treatment that um, specializes in vestibular, which so our son with cerebral palsy benefited from that. Um, We traveled there four times. Uh, We traveled to Philadelphia um, twice for Maggie to undergo procedures in her brain surgery um, at CHOP. We've traveled to Toronto, Canada for us to do um, a specific type of speech protocol for our son who has cerebral palsy. Um, It's called prompt speech. Um, We traveled to Austin, Texas four times for us to do a three-week intensive. And we've done that four times a year um, for the past two and a half years um, for him to receive the treatment he needs. Um, And we've been very fortunate with our son with autism that we have a lot of good local resources. Mm. Um, But, you know, we really just for two and a half years, we just said, Nothing is too expensive. Nothing is too crazy for us to do. And we just want to throw a bunch of spaghetti to the wall. See what's going to work. And what works for our child. Because every child, whether they have autism, cerebral palsy, so many many diagnoses are an umbrella. Mm -hmm. Every single child is so different, you know. And just because this mom experienced this doesn't mean that's going to benefit my child. Mm So um, we... I really feel like at year six, I finally am like, we have a really good team. We have a good rhythm of what we're doing. Um, A lot of things we were traveling for are now in our own community. And that wasn't the case Mm. four years ago. Yeah. Um, And so we're really grateful to be in a space of saying, we're going to do it. I'm going to, we're going to try it. Yeah. And not everybody can do that. Not No one needs to feel guilt if they cannot do that because a lot of people that's not, possible for them. Um, and so, you know, that was, that was a decision you and your husband right. were able to make together. And, and and that is something I actually tell parents all the time in the beginning. If, if someone calls me or texts me and saying, you know, I want advice or, you know, da, da, da. I say all the time, you and your spouse or your caregiving team, whoever it is for you, you've got to sit down and y'all have got to make sure you're on the same end goal. What's your end goal? And if it is for your child to have fun and your child to, and for you to have a work-life balance because you're going back to work, then what's going to make that possible? One hour of therapy a week? If that's what's possible for you and your family, that's what you're going to do. And I will tell you, Becky, those two and a half years of us doing everything we could do absolutely ran me into the ground, Mm -hmm. ran our finances into the ground, which we'll talk about that in a minute when we start talking about that in our, in our marriage. Mm-hmm. into the ground. Yeah. yeah. 
Would I go back and change that two and a half years for how my kids, what all they gained? Absolutely not. We were told Max would never have head control who has cerebral palsy. He's Mm -hmm. now can four point crawl. But I have now learned in those two and a half years how to do it smarter. And that is where I like to encourage other moms and families. Mm -hmm. If you are going to do this, if this is going to be your rhythm, these are things you can do. Right. um, So that you are not depleted at the end of those two and a half Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's important. That's important to know that. You know, and so out of your journey, out of your story, you guys started uh, a nonprofit mm-hmm. called Love Your Story. So tell the heart behind Love Your Story and what you guys do. Right. Love Your Story, honestly, the name came from this idea of, and I kind of talked about a little bit in the beginning of the podcast, loving my kids has been easy, but loving our story has been a process. Mm. And it will continue to be a process. Yeah. And how can I then, what I've experienced in the little bit of six years that my kids have lived, how can I help other moms and and Ryan, other dads come along and say, how can you learn to love your story? I mean, I mean, truly. Mm -hmm. When you saw yourself going A and you're on B and you ain't, Mm -hmm. you're never going back to A. Right. It's off the table. B is B is your life now. Mm-hmm. Um, how can you end up loving your story? And so early on in those times of us traveling everywhere, I was traveling by myself with one or two of the children and Ryan obviously stayed in our community and worked. When I say we had a ton of help making this possible, we had a ton of help making this possible. But what was happening is I was traveling to all these places completely alone for three weeks in a hotel room with a two and a half year old that was dependent on me for everything. Mm -hmm. It is not setting me up well. Mm -hmm. It is not setting him up well. In the end, emotionally, spiritually, physically, all of the things. And so I, after a year of doing it all by myself, um, the last year and a half that we really spent traveling, I just started messaging other moms on social media. And I was like, hey, I think I met you in Austin, Texas last year in the waiting room. Did y'all schedule anything for this year? When are you going? And so it really started happening. Really, I just put myself out there. I I had never spent time with these moms. I didn't really know anything about them. And I said, Austin, Texas, these are the dates I'm going. Let's share Airbnb. Let's let's start being in community together. Um, Because like I said, I saw myself, my marriage and our finances getting run into the ground, but I knew this is what my kids needed. So how do I bridge the gap of those? Oh, Abby, you thrive in community. Mm -hmm. We all do. Nothing's meant to be done in isolation. Yeah. Number two, splitting a house with somebody would help with finances. Yeah. And number three, being with somebody else, knowing that they too are at the end of the night, encouraging their spouse and updating their spouse, Mm -hmm. knowing I'm not alone in that. That's yeah. going to give me fuel and fire to continue to go on. And so yeah. I, I did that for a year and a half. I never traveled by myself. If I went to an intensive, somebody came with me. Mm. And um, it was a beautiful thing that started to happen. And it was just me and one mom at first. And then it ended up being four or five moms all traveling together at the same time. And it made it fun. Like, mm-hmm. It made it the kids would go to bed and we would say it late laughing and talking. I'm like, there's joy. There is mm-hmm. joy here, you know, and we would go to the clinic and spend all day there. And guess what? We weren't by ourselves. We took turns running right. and eating lunch and feeding each other, you know, and I started finding myself coming back to those trips, not depleted. Mm-hmm. 
I'm like, mm-hmm. I think I'm on to something here. Like, I think yeah. this doesn't have to be an isolated event of what we're trying to do. And so, um, like I mentioned earlier, four years ago in our own community, I live about an hour north of Atlanta, when our own community started having some of these intensive therapy options, I like looked at my husband and I'm like, nobody's saying by themselves in our town. Like, mm-hmm. I, I remember. And so, you know, Love Your Story has officially only been a nonprofit for one year, but we've really been doing this for three and a half years out of mm-hmm. our spare bedroom, my parents' house, my sister's mm-hmm. house, my sister's in-laws' basement. I mean, anybody who would host a family, mm-hmm. you know, and we started having families say like, oh my gosh, experiencing that with somebody else made it possible. Yeah. I could do it yeah. again. The financial mm-hmm. release that we experienced. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yes. And so really Love Your Story was born because we are one of those families. Mm. It was born out of knowing what we need and seeing other people yeah. need it. I did, Just like you starting, you know, a rising above, it wasn't one of those things where I'm going to create something and I hope people right. show up. <laughs> right, you know? right. You're like, no, no, people are already showing up. I'm just going to create up. something official. Exactly, exactly. And so what does that look like when you say something official? So you, you've got, I know you have a house. Mm-hmm. Um, you do housing, a house called Molly's House. Tell us, about, where did that name come from? Because your your kids are, you know, that's not one of their names. Oh. So where did the names Molly's House come from? And and what does that look like? Yeah, it's so fun. So um, like I said, we were just doing it at people's spare bedrooms. And I had my mentor look at me. She actually also has triplets, which is how we got connected. And her triplets are in college now. And she looked at me and she's like, so when are you going to make this thing a nonprofit so we can just start giving mm. you money? Mm. You know, and I was like, well, I mean, well, we're already doing it. And she's like, right. So why don't you get people to help you do it? And mm-hmm. so that's kind of how it started, just kind of her nudging me to do it and and started making an official 501c3. And we are, and we went through that process. And in through that process, I sat down with a couple of people who are investors. And I said, let me show you what we've already been doing for these really two and a half, three years in our own community. Let me show you the need that's still there. Would you take a chance on me? And take a chance on our community and create this space with me and buy a house. Mm, Buy a three-bedroom, two-bath house. It's probably not going to be exactly what we need, but we can make it work. And so I got a call one day on a Tuesday morning that was like, there's a three-bedroom, two-bath, all fully brick home, six minutes from the center. You want to come see it? Literally walk through it. I was like, this will do. Like, let's let's pull the Band-Aid. Call the investor. The investor said, all right, let's close. And within 11 days, we closed. And I, I mean, you know, and yeah. people ask me all the time, how did you find somebody like that? I'm like, guys, when it's a business venture for somebody else, they're going to say yes. Mm-hmm. So we now love your story doesn't own the house. We pay right yearly rent to them. Mm. They're guaranteed rent. Yeah. From great yeah. renters. Mm-hmm. Why would they not? <laughs> you know, yeah. why would they not want a new rental property? Um, and so that's how we started. Love your story. We bought a house and we knew it wasn't exactly what we needed, meaning like it's not fully ADA you know, certified, you know, we have a wheelchair ramp. We do what we do the best we can serving families. Mm -hmm. But we closed on the house on May 17th. And on June 4th, we welcomed our first family from Asheville, North Carolina. And every single thing in Molly's house, which I'll get to the uh, name in a minute, every single thing you see in Molly's house was donated out of the Mm -hmm. kindness of somebody's home or they went and bought it. Yeah. It was truly another beautiful community gathering mm-hmm. of saying, 
hey, we want to be a community that creates spaces of belonging for these families that are impacted by disabilities. Mm -hmm. We see them traveling to our community and we want to do something about it. Yeah. And so it, I tell people all the time, people are like, oh, I bet you're so busy. I am very busy, but I have a lot of help. Mm -hmm. And people just gravitated towards helping Mm -hmm. these families. And it was, it was really fun to see. Um, Becky, it's funny that you say about the Molly's house, because I'm so glad we did this now. It was supposed to be called the Love Your Story House. Okay. And I have a friend that does like marketing and stuff for, and she was like, got to separate the names. What if you get a second house? What if you start doing things that aren't just a house? Like Love Your Story's name. And I was like, oh, okay. And had kind of started thinking about it and praying about it. And my paternal grandmother was named Molly Brown. And she was the weirdest, quirkiest woman you had ever met in your entire life. I tell people when she passed away, I mean this out of the kindness of my heart. If you didn't want to plant or if you didn't want scraps of fabric, there was nothing for you. There you go. There was nothing for you. Um, But she truly um, showed me and all of my cousins this idea of people aren't asking for perfection. They're asking for an open door. Mm, yeah. And I'm yeah. a recovering perfectionist, Becky. Mm. <laughs> in, in starting Love Your Story, it has been the best thing I've ever done and the most painful thing I've ever done because nothing yeah. is perfect. Right. Things fall through the crack. The house isn't exactly what we need. I didn't know mm-hmm. that I, I'm, I'm learning, you know. Yeah. And I had to lay it down. Yeah. And I thought, what better name to name it? Molly's House. That's sweet. We're not offering you perfection. We're offering you an open door. Mm-hmm. That's what we can offer you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was it like for that first family to come in? What was their story and how did they receive um, getting to stay at Molly's house? Yeah, it was really fun because, you know, obviously I'd been helping families, but I didn't know. And I had told this mom, I said, listen, there's a chance y'all are going to get to stay, be the first family to stay in Molly's house. She's like, what's Molly's house? I was like, well, you know, I'm like telling her all of this stuff. And she's like, yeah, sounds great. Sign us up. And so um, it was the Craig family from Asheville, North Carolina, and their daughter, Cora, who at the time was two and a half and um, has cerebral palsy, uh, which is most of the kids traveling to the clinic have cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. And they had never done a three or four week intensive before. So they're coming to Gainesville, Georgia for the first time for three weeks as a family of five because their two kids were out for the summer because it was June 4th mm-hmm. and their and her husband at the time worked from home. And she's like, we've never been able, we never thought we'd be able to travel together because we, mm-hmm. we could only afford a hotel room. Right. Right. For three right. weeks. Yeah. And they came and it was the best thing. They were, first off, they were so kind and gracious of like, like she texted me, I remember on day three, like, hey, we're making pizza at home. I don't think there's a pizza cutter. And I was like, pizza cutter. We need Add a that pizza. to the list. We need a pizza yeah. cutter, you know? So I like text a bunch of people. I'm like, anybody got a spare pizza cutter? They're like, come <laughs> over. We got a pizza cutter, you know? Um, and so the first family, I just truly told them, I'm like, I mean, you're going to be working with us, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the end of it, though, it ended up being a beautiful friendship. And they actually ended up coming back and staying for an additional three weeks over Christmas break. And we're here over Christmas. And we like 
bought them a Christmas tree and did Christmas mm. gifts and the whole deal. And so, wow. um, you know, the the ultimate design, Becky, is to have multiple families living together, right? With what I experienced. Right, um, right. And the house isn't set up for that currently. Um, but my husband and I are here. And so we do try to be in community as much as the families mm-hmm. want to be in community. Right, right. So, you know, whether that's them coming to the pool with us, trunk or treating, coming over to our house for a Super Bowl party, whatever that is, the, the family yeah. staying there right now, the Jordan family from Memphis, Went and grabbed lunch with them today on the square with one of my kids. So we really do mm-hmm. try to make it family, make them feel like they're not here by themselves, right? In your hometown by themselves, right? And and so if people are like thinking, okay, I'm going to be coming to to your area, mm-hmm. how do I? How and would love to know more about the house. How do they sign up? How do they get more information? What does that process look like? Right. We tell people we want the process to be as easy as possible because I don't want you to have to fill out 20 pages of paperwork. You already do that every yeah. other day. I'm not wanting right. that. Um, and so we have a website um, called loveyourstory.us. And there literally is a tab that says apply to stay at Molly's house. And all it asks is for your name, your um, intensive therapy date. So we allow up to 24 days as a stay. That's a, the longest stay that you can have. And just tell us a little bit about your family. Um, Mm -hmm. I tell people all the time, I am open to a point about my kid's journey, but I don't ever want Love Your Story to have to run all the campaign of sharing someone's story to be an inspiration Mm -hmm. because not every family feels comfortable doing that. We do not require that for a family. Um, What we do require is for you to share a picture of your family if, if you allow it to share on social media but I'm not sharing about your child's diagnosis. I'm not sharing mm-hmm. what new exercises your child learned to do. Um, if you decide to do that on your personal page, that's great. Um, mm. But I tell people when I'm fundraising, that should not be a requirement for me to have to fundraise. Yeah. The requirement yeah. is that you're coming to therapy and that you're impacted, your family impacted by disabilities. Mm-hmm. And um, we want to serve you in that. Um, and so, yeah, online is how they apply. Um, honestly, we are on socials as well. Um, some people reach out via Instagram, um, and you sign a liability waiver and we lock you in to the dates and we go from there. And there you go from there. Well, we, as you look, you know, this fairly new nonprofit, you haven't been going all that long. What are your hopes and dreams for the future as you look down the road? You know, it's so crazy because we had a board meeting on Monday, our last one before we break for the summer. And I have 12 people on my board. And all of them knew what I was doing before Love Your Story was was official, you know, that we were opening our home and everything. And we are looking back on our one-year goals. And our one-year goal, I'm laughing at this, Becky, because you know how it is. You're like, I was so, why did I not set a bigger goal? Like, <laughs> and I did think that was a big goal, you yeah. know? And yeah. our first year was we wanted to serve five families mm. staying at Molly's house. I mm-hmm. thought that would be the win. And here we are at the Jordan family right now. And this is family number 17. Wow. That's amazing. That has stayed at Molly's house in one calendar year. Um, Uh And we've turned away six people because we didn't have the space. Um, Mm -hmm. I tell people all the time, if that's you, if you think we're already booked, go ahead and reach out. We we actually do a stipend um, for you to put towards an Airbnb in our community. Um, Mm -hmm. So there are still other um, instances, but you know, Coming up on a, I mean, we just did a year, what, two weeks ago, I guess. Yeah, we're on our 17th family. 
We are fully booked until the end of November of this year, mm. which is absolutely yeah. insane. Yeah. Um, and we have started, you know, praying and talking with our board about what would it look to do a capital campaign to, mm-hmm. if we're going to do this and the need is here, two more clinics are opening up within a 30 minute radius. So mm. we know that yeah. they, they open in January. Um, so we know the need is even going to be higher for people. Mm-hmm. And the ultimate design is to live in community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what is that yeah. going to look like for us? And what is that going to look like for me? We don't have anyone on staff for Love Your Story. I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not right. paid at this point in time. Um, and so where is that going to go and what is that going to look like? But I tell people all the time, I've done a lot of very, very hard things in my life. Starting Love Your Story and walking alongside the families has not been one of them. Mm -hmm. It has been hard in my perfectionist self to like let things go that I don't have things perfect, but it has been the best thing that my family has done. Mm, My kids love going over to the Love Your Story house and they can tell you that that's where I work. And um, Mm. it's just, it's, I'm going to try not to cry. It's really been a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I know you're in a similar situation where you're like, I was handed this and honestly, I thought it would kind of stay a pile of poop. I didn't know Mm -hmm. what was going to turn into Mm -hmm. it. You're like, man, I stayed really faithful with something that I never saw what the other end could be. Yeah. And not that I've yeah. seen exactly what the other end's going to be, but I'm seeing mm-hmm. glimpses of it and I love it. Yeah. And I am loving my story. Mm, so beautiful. And, you know, just I'm just thinking about how, you know, you've just started this part of your journey um, and what will happen going in the future. So we'll have to have you back in a couple of years and and find out the latest, like what's going on with Love My Story and with you guys and um, you know, I'm going to close out as we did with all of our podcasts, you know, what are ways that you rise above your circumstances? I mean, we've heard it all throughout this episode, but how do you rise above your circumstances and find joy in your story? Oh, I think the number one way finding joy in my story has been being authentically myself in my own story, Mm. not looking to the left, not looking to the right. Yeah. I want to be authentic to my story. I want to be authentic to myself living my story. And I think that that is when the joy happens Mm. when you find yourself being yourself in your story and not trying to make it better than it is and not trying to make it look worse than it is. Mm Mm-hmm. When you are just being faithful and living your life for yourself and your family, joy will come. Yeah. I don't know when it will come for you, but it will. Yeah. It will. Yeah. And accepting, accepting that this is your story is is such a big part of that. It's such a big part of it. And I think for me too, the accepting came when I truly was like, man, I love who you're becoming. Like, Mm -hmm. I love your personality. I love your quirk. I love hearing your imagination. You know, I I mean, just yesterday, Monday, we're we're on summer and on Monday, they were like, let's get out cardboard and let's build a castle, you know, and let's do all these things. And, you know. I don't mind helping you with the glue stick and the glitter and all of the stuff, you know, and holding your hand when you're doing that because I'm loving you. Mm -hmm. This is the way I'm loving you. 
Yeah. So. Sweet. Well, thank you, Abigail, so much for being here on this this episode. And uh, we'll have links to your website um, in the show notes and to your, your different social media platforms so people can easily find you. But we will have to have you back so we can hear more about what you guys are doing in the future. So thanks again so much for being here. I know. Well, I hope next time I see you. I'm at one of your mom's retreats, so. Well, come on. come! I'm telling you, come on this summer. You just never know. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Rising Above with Becky Davidson, created and produced by Rising Above Ministries. To learn more about us and our resources for special needs families, visit risingaboveministries.org or download our free app. If you've enjoyed listening and want to hear more, We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. You can always share it to encourage a friend. And remember, joy can be found in every story.